0: The Read to Lead podcast, episode 98. Hi, I'm Clay Clark, author of Thrive, How to Take Control of Your Destiny and Move Beyond Surviving Now. You've taken a crucial first step by listening to this. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. Boom!
1: Despite the messages that we get, giving and receiving are not opposite concepts. Giving and receiving are simply two sides of the very same coin. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional
0: reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi, I'm Jeff. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where every week we sit down, well, just about every week anyway, we sit down with a successful and inspiring author. We talk about his or her latest book and their unique insights on topics like leadership, personal development, marketing, productivity, career, business, and entrepreneurship. A quick uh, just note of apology, it's been a couple of weeks since our last episode, uh, and uh, we had a couple of, not, not one, but two deaths in our family uh, in the span of uh, less than a week. And so it's it's been a little bit of a trying time, uh, to say the least. So I appreciate your thoughts and prayers there. But we are back uh, today with a vengeance. And I think you're really going to be excited to hear who we have on the show today. In this episode, you and I are going to be joined by Bob Berg, who is co-author of uh, quite a famous book. Uh, you've probably heard of it. It's called The Go-Giver a little story about a powerful business idea. And I plan to ask Bob about his insights on what he calls the five laws of stratospheric success, some of the misconceptions often associated with being a go-giver, examples of successful go-givers in the real world, and lots more. If you know anything about me, you know that I'm a big proponent of not sitting all day long of getting up and moving around and uh, burning some calories and and, and not doing that thing that I believe is going to shorten your life if you keep doing it. And and so many of us work at a desk. We sit. uh, I, for years, uh, sat at a desk, uh, whether it was a studio in a radio uh, station or in my office. And I wish I could turn back the clock, frankly. Uh, But I'm making sure going forward that I don't spend eight, 10, 12 hours a day sitting behind a desk because now I have a stand-up desk from the company called UpDesk. Yes, you heard that right. I have decided to keep my desk. I am purchasing it in the next couple of days. I've been using it for the last month or so uh, to try it out and to see what I thought. And I've loved every minute of it. And I had to make a decision here over the weekend. Either I'm going to give it back or I'm going to purchase it. I have decided to purchase it because, because it's just too awesome to give back. I highly recommend you check them out. You can go to com slash desk. Now, if you're not in the market for a new desk in the sense that maybe you work in a cubicle or in an office where you're kind of stuck with the sitting desk that you have, You might check out one of their options called the pop-up that hooks onto the lip of a sit-down desk and allows you to raise and lower your monitor and keyboard so that you can sit some of the time and stand up some of the time. The great thing about the one I have called the power-up is it's motorized and with a push of a button, you can raise and lower the desk and nothing on the desk has to move or be taken off. It goes up and down Effortlessly. It even has a couple of presets to remember your standing and sitting positions. They have several other desks uh, from which to choose as well. And um, I'm loving it enough that I'm investing in it. And I think you should too. Stand up for your health, I like to say. Visit Read to Lead slash desk to find out more about Updesk. The company SoFi is another one of our sponsors and leading marketplace lender. SoFi helps you save thousands when you refinance your federal and private student loans. And as a listener to Read to Lead, you can take advantage of their special $200 welcome bonus when you do just that, when you refinance your student loans. Just go to SOFI.com slash Read to Lead. Well, you might be skeptical to hear that a subtle shift in focus really can make a big difference in your business and in your life, but our guest today is a huge believer in that idea. His name is Bob Berg. He is a sought-after speaker at uh, company leadership and sales conferences. He regularly addresses audiences from 50 to 15,000. He has shared the platform with notables, including today's top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, Olympic athletes, and political leaders, including a former U.S. president. He is the co-author of the international bestseller, The Go-Giver and Go-Givers Sell More, an author of endless referrals and numerous other books. In fact, more than a million copies sold in total. The Go-Giver, by the way, has been translated into 21 different languages, and it is now available in a new expanded edition. It originally came out in 2007, and in just a few days. You can pre-order it now. It's available in a newly expanded edition, including a new forward and a new uh, Q&A with the authors and a number of other editions. Another thing I love about Bob is he is an unapologetic animal fanatic, and he serves as vice president of the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption and Clinic in his hometown of Jupiter, Florida. Well, Bob, thank you officially for coming on the podcast. I appreciate your time and I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Well, my pleasure. You know, it, it's it's uh, an honor to be on your on your podcast and also to discuss one of my favorite topics, which is
0: books. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how I pulled it off, but but last episode we had Brian Tracy, and we follow that with you, and oh. so it's, it's kind of like uh, he opened for you, I guess, is one way. Well, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'm, I'll
1: we'll say I'm his following act because. Uh, I'll tell you what, he's a guy who has so much wisdom Mm. and, you know, and he's really a person for whom I have so much respect. Uh, He's a a real gentleman and just real class and and grace and just a a fantastic guy and and a a super leader.
0: Well, when I think back, here we are nearing episode 100, and I think back to all of the authors we've had on the show in the past. I can only think of one other one. I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. I can think of one other one who has written a book in, in parable form. And that was uh, Andy Andrews.
1: Oh, Andy's Andy's had some magnificent uh, parables.
0: Yeah, uh, we talked specifically about the noticer returns. Of course, there's the noticer, the traveler's gift, and, and then there's there's another author who has not been on the show, but one of my favorites and and, and known for that, uh, Pat Linceyoni. Oh, sure. And and so I'm curious to know, uh, having written a business parable yourself, what what was behind the decision to write it as a business parable instead of? a straightforward business book i would i would have to believe that writing a book in parable form is a heck of a lot harder
1: well it it, it would be a lot harder except uh i had the honor of uh, co-authoring it with John David Mann who mm-hmm. was the lead writer and storyteller mm-hmm. and he is a a brilliant brilliant man uh, i'm actually much more of a how-to writer mm-hmm. uh, my my first few books were uh, how-to books and the the go-giver came about because one of my first books endless referrals was a a business book on business networking creating relationships uh that would result in new business endless business endless referral business and uh I, I wrote that back it was first published back in the mid 90s well I'd, I'd written a few other books since then but I'd always been a reader of parables mm-hmm. and, and really starting with uh, Og Mandino's greatest salesman in the world, which, which could be called a parable, and mm-hmm. uh, James Classen's richest man in Babylon. And then in the early 80s, I think it was, uh, Doctors uh, um, Blanchard and Johnson came up with the one-minute series, you know, one-minute manager, one-minute mm-hmm. salesperson, one-minute apology, one-minute – and they, these were great books, and then you, as you – Uh, go further along. There's other, of course, as you mentioned, Andy Andrews and Chris Widener, Robin Sharma, uh, just just great books. And what I always loved about business parables is that they were simple, they were easy to read, and they made a connection. You know, there's an old saying that facts tell, but stories sell. But as John David Mann, my co-author, says, it's not necessarily that stories sell, But what stories do is connect. Mm. And once you've got that connection, now you can sell your message, which is can be nothing more maybe than the very idea, the philosophy that you're trying to get across, whatever it is uh, that one is trying to sell. And so so I always thought, wouldn't it be great if we could take the general premise of endless referrals, which was that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like and trust and put that into a parable form. And and really, in a sense, the premise of the go-giver is that shifting one's focus, and that's really the key, shifting one's focus from getting to giving, in this case, in this context, giving simply meaning constantly and consistently providing value to others is not only a nice way to live life, but a very financially profitable way as well. So when John and I got together on that, because I I reached out to him, I I knew him because he was the uh, uh, editor in chief of a magazine I used to write for. And he was not as well known to that time outside a particular niche industry. But everybody in in that niche knew he was brilliant. And so I asked him if he would be the lead writer and storyteller. And I kind of gave him the basic idea of this. And so we got together on it and, and collaborated. But that's really how uh, the parable idea formed. I just always loved parables, wanted to have one, but also knew that writing it alone, there was no way I was going to be able to do it justice. But I knew John could. And, and you know, and I feel he did.
0: Well, uh, I want to dig into uh, the book and I want to be careful not to spoil the ending, uh, but uh, take a moment, uh, if you would, Bob, to sort of set the stage for us uh, of The Go-Giver.
1: Well, it's it, the protagonist is a, a young man named Joe. He's a young, up-and-coming, ambitious, aggressive businessman, a salesperson who um, is a good kid. He's well-intentioned, but he really has a, a sort of a, a focus on himself that doesn't really serve him and doesn't serve the people around him and has really kept him from obtaining the kind of success he feels he deserves. He meets a, a mentor by the name of Pindar, sort of a main mentor or who who helps him with that initial shift in focus, understanding Mm -hmm. that he needs to move from an I focus or a me focus to an other focus, understanding that people are really only going to do business with him because. They feel there's value in doing so, which which makes sense. And that for that to happen, he needs to, to genuinely and authentically be able to care about bringing value to others. And Pindar introduces him to a series of other mentors who explain the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity and receptivity. And, you know, at the end, they all live happily ever after.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, what what was the origin uh, of all of that? Did you, did you have these laws mapped out before you began writing the story? As I read it, I kept saying to myself, well, surely some of this is based in, on actual events. Is that indeed the case or is it, is it purely fictional?
1: Well, the story itself is fictional, but many of the events in there actually happened, either in John's life or business or my life or business. And so what we did is we put those stories in there, but we just included them as part of the entire story. And so uh, you know, the characters are sort of a compendium of people. A couple of them are just made up, totally, but but most of them have you know, are are sort of based on people or or a combination of people and, and, and so forth. But yeah, a lot of those those incidents in their in apps and conversations did actually happen.
0: Well I wanna be certain that you understand that Bob is not saying uh, that being a go-giver is the antithesis of a go-getter or that being a go-getter is a bad thing. We grow up hearing oftentimes, you know, the early bird gets the worm, be proactive, be a go-getter. So, so speak to that a bit, Bob, and, and share what, in your view, is the opposite of a go-giver.
1: Well, you make a great point because absolutely we love go-getter. Hey, you know, one of my favorite books, because I know, you know, the show is about books and how great, but one of my favorite books is called The Go-Getter. It's a business parable by Peter Kine that was written about 50 or 60 years ago. We love go-getters. Why? Because as you said, go-getters take action. Go-getters get things done. Uh, you know, we're all business people, and we all understand that you can have the nicest thoughts, <laughs> the best <laughs> ideas, even the greatest of intention, Jeff. But unless action's put into the mix, nothing's gonna happen. It it's simply cannot happen. Now, uh, so being a go-getter is very important. The good news, the, you know, the cool thing, if you will, is that there's no, there's no natural separation between a go-getter and a go-giver. Many go-getters are also go-givers, and we would say that every go-giver is also a go-getter. So the opposite of a go-giver, as you said, is not a go-getter. The opposite of a go-giver is a go-taker, and that's that person who feels almost entitled, if you will, to mm. take, take, take without having added value to the person, to the process, to the situation. And go takers, and, and we all know people like that, and they can be good people. Um, they tend to be very frustrated, though, because they rarely <laughs> attain the kind of level of success they feel they deserve. And even those those times they do have victories, they tend to be short-lived because they haven't been built on a really solid Foundation, so you know so again, when we say go giver we're we're simply talking about that person who has learned or who always knew to that it's that when you can shift that focus from yourself to bringing value to others that's when you accomplish the most. so what we always say and you bring up such a great point, we always say no be a go getter and a go giver, just don't be a go taker well
0: oftentimes we can assume that we've got to be successful first and once we've made a name for ourselves and we've had success then we can give and give and give and give it bob says that's actually backwards so bob why do you feel that way why is that backwards
1: well, the way you get successful is by giving. But we're, when we talk about giving, we're talking about giving value to the marketplace. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean through your product or service. At first, it might be finding ways to to add value to, to you know in, to people's lives in, in such a way that you benefit them in some way. You create the relationship with them in some way. Again, you're focused in bringing value, however they feel it is a value. But let's let's look at this in strictly a business sense for the moment, because I think this is very important to understanding uh, the the great point that you brought up, why it's important to to focus on the giving part, not waiting to you to you receive and then give. It would be like going up to a fireplace and saying to the fireplace, well, first you give me some heat and then I'll throw on some wood and some (laughs) paper and then light a match. Mm. It would be like going to a bank and going to the teller and saying, I'm thinking of opening up an account, but first I want the interest payment given to me, and then I'll deposit some money. Life doesn't work that way. You've got to plant the seeds before you reap the crops. And so when you think about it, you've got someone, a, a prospective customer, they are not gonna buy from you because you have a quota to meet. They're not going to buy from you because you need the money. They're not going to buy from you because you really, even because you really think your product or service is the best for them. They're going to buy from you because they feel that it's of more value to do so, to buy from you than it is to not buy from you. And the only way this happens is when your focus is in the right place. If you're (laughs) focused on their money, they're going to sense that. And there's no way if that's the case that you're going to be able to do the best job if you're focused on the money. Mm. You've got to be focused on bringing them value in the way they see it as being of value. Uh, 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 You know, when you think about it, selling can be defined as simply discovering what somebody wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it.
0: Mm.
1: And to do that, you must focus on them. You must ask questions in order to discover what it is they need, want, and desire. You need to be able to work within that and then be able to tie the benefits of your product or service into what they need, want, and desire. And that's why I say it. it, it it's not some, you know, theory or some, you know, uh, woo woo kind of thing oh you know <laughs> give first no it's it's mm. how the world works in a free market based economy where no one's forced to do business with you mm. the focus has to be on them
0: and even if my business is still small, maybe it's struggling. I guess what you're saying is I can practice this law of value and, and still turn a profit. I'm not going to lose my shirt uh, necessarily. <laughs>
1: well, you shouldn't. If, if you're losing your shirt by doing it, you're doing it wrong. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> well, share a bit about the law of compensation, Bob, and the idea that, that money or, or I guess more specifically earning lots of it is not a measure of, of your worthiness.
1: You know, money is an echo of value. OK, money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder to values lightning. Uh, this is why we say the money, the, the value must come first. Mm-hmm. And the money is simply a very natural result of the value you've provided. So when we talk about the law of compensation, we say your, your, your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So where law number one says to give more in use value than what you take in cash payment. So in other words, both parties profit, both parties win. Law number two tells us that the greater number of people we add this kind of exceptional value to, the more money with which we'll be rewarded. Uh, You might recall in the story, our CEO uh, Nicole Martin explained to Joe, the protege, that law number one, the law of value, while it's the foundational principle and it's very, very important, it's just providing value to one person is not mm-hmm. enough to have, you know, to have you make a really healthy income. Mm-hmm. You must also impact the lives of many people with that value. So when you look at the number of people you serve, as well as how well you serve them, that, that equals your actual income.
0: One of the reasons our sponsor, SoFi, decided to support the podcast was because they wanted to impact even more people with, with what they're doing. They, they want to reach out to busy, ambitious professionals, people just like you, and offer uh, student loan refinancing, mortgages, and personal loans. So if you carry a high student loan balance, you could save thousands by refinancing and consolidating your federal and private student loans at a lower rate. That's what SoFi is all about. In fact, SoFi borrowers save on an average of $14,000 over the life of of their loans, And by the way, in addition to savings, SoFi members benefit from unemployment protection. So that means should you lose your job, SoFi pauses your payment and provides access even to a career services team for personalized career planning and job search assistance. So if you want to check out a full list of products and benefits that they offer, and I encourage you to do exactly that, visit SoFi.com. That's SoFi.com slash Read to Lead. Now, for a very limited time, you heard me mention this at the outset. And as a listener to the show, they are offering you a special $200 welcome bonus. That's $200 in your pocket when you refinance your student loans with SoFi. Again, just go to sofi.com slash Read to Lead. And the fine print says that all loans made by SoFi Lending Corps NMLS MLS number 1121636 and CFO license number 6054612. Well, the book, uh, The Go-Giver, has has been on my radar for a number of years. First came out in 2007. Of course, this expanded edition coming out in a few weeks. And before reading it this week, I had this misconception that being a go-giver was really about self-sacrifice, but it's not really about negating your own needs and interests at all, is it?
1: No, absolutely not. And, I, and I, I so appreciate you bringing that up. And I, I think when people hear the term the go giver, because remember, people um, see the world through their own eyes and they see the world through their own belief system and, and what they've been taught and what they've learned. So I think people hear or they they see a title like the go giver and they go, oh, it means you're giving yourself away. Well, No, no, not a good way to do business and not a good way to, to live life. Um when we say, uh, you know, for example, let's let's take the law of uh, in, of influence, uh, and it will sound like the law of influence says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. <laughs> Very counterintuitive when you think about it, and yet when you think of the great leaders, the top influencers the hugely financially successful salespeople, this is simply how they run their lives and mm. conduct their businesses. They're always looking for ways to place others' interests first. They're focused on the others' interests. Now, let me qualify this and, and, and hit upon what you, what you said. And again, I'm just so glad you brought that up. When we say place the other person's interests first, we certainly don't mean you should ever be anyone's doormat or uh, a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely not at all. It's simply that, as, as uh, several of the mentors uh, told Joe... In the story, the golden rule of business is, and we talked about this earlier all things being equal, (laughs) people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Well, there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by genuinely and authentically looking for placing their interests first, looking for ways to, as, as Sam, one of the mentors, said to Joe, by making your win about. The other person's win. Now, when you do that, how do people feel about you? I mean, people feel great about you. You're <laughs> planting so many seeds of goodwill, of great will. Uh, you know, you're connecting others. You're you're bringing value to people's lives. You become that go-to person, that center of influence, and you create a vast network of what we call personal walking. Ambassadors. So, no, there's absolutely nothing self-sacrificial about this.
0: Well, unpack for us, if you would, Bob, the law of receptivity and why you think so many people struggle or seem to struggle with, with practicing that one.
1: Well, the law of receptivity simply says that the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. Uh, near the end of the story, Pindar asked Joe, the protege, to uh, breathe out and hold that outgoing breath to thirty, which of course Je- uh, Jeff uh, Joe couldn't <laughs> do. And uh, and uh, and Pindar said, "What's the matter, Joe? Can't do?" And Joe said, "No, I can't just breathe out. I've got to breathe in as as well." And and Pindar jokingly said, "And yet this is, I think, very profound." Very Very important, he said. What if I was to tell you that it's been medically proven that it's actually healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in? And Joe just laughed. (laughs) He said, "No, of course not. That's silly. You can't do that. You you can't breathe out or breathe in. You've got to do both. And that's so key. You cannot just give without allowing yourself to receive and think you're going to live a healthy, fulfilled, happy." Uh, and wealthy life, it just it just can't happen. Now, the the good news is that despite the messages we get, whether from the media or from school or from this or from what have you, giving and receiving are not opposite concepts. Mm. Giving and receiving are simply two sides of the very same coin. It's not are you a giver or a receiver. That's a false dilemma. Mm. Uh, it's you are a giver and a receiver. We just need to remember that the focus needs to be on the giving, the giving of value to everyone all the time that you focus on the giving and then allow the receiving. Well, in answer to your question, why do people have such a, a problem with that? And they do is because look at what the messages we get from the world. Look at what we've been taught so often, whether it's a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, popular culture, uh, you know, we we hear all these messages of lack of this. You know, money is not good. Money is evil, and <laughs> and people who make a lot of money do it on the backs of others, or they're crooks, or well, I'm 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 poor, but I'm happy. You know, and all these things. Which w- Randy Gage, who's a good friend of mine, who who's probably at, at this point the foremost uh, teacher on prosperity, uh, he calls them. Uh, he calls them negative memes, you know, mind viruses. Mm. And and once they infect, just like a, an operating uh, system in a computer, once they infect you and, they, and it's always on an unconscious level, by the way. OK, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so we don't even realize that we're feeling this way. But if we in our our unconscious and our subconscious, if we don't believe money is good, if we believe people with money are evil or they they got it a bad way or, or no one will like me if I get wealthy. Well, all of a sudden, you know, we do things, we're providing such great value to so many people and we've got this money kind of, sort of, you know, coming in and rolling in. Well, now if, if we feel there's a disconnect with that, even I should say, especially on an unconscious level, what are we going to do? We're going to sabotage ourselves. We're going to find a way to make this not happen. Because remember, uh, when it, you know, when it comes to the struggle, the fight between your conscious and unconscious beliefs, your unconscious is going to win every time. <laughs> for sure. So we've got to be able to, and I can't tell you how many people from reading that chapter in the book wrote to John and me to, to thank us for that. Mm. You know, saying things like, well, I finally see why it's okay, why it's good to receive. Uh, and and we, of course, we're grateful for that kind of feedback, but it's it's sad that that's the case. You know what I'm saying?
0: Mm. And when you're not open to that, you're kind of denying the other person the gift to be able to give you.
1: Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Uh, when someone compliments you and you don't accept it, or when someone wants to buy you lunch and you won't accept it, or they, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so absolutely.
0: Well, Bob, I'd be curious to know what are some examples that you've witnessed uh, in real life of how people are, are using these laws? You've shared some, I'd be curious to, to hear some others.
1: Yeah, well, you look at the person from from uh, the Pittsburgh area who wrote us, and this is soon after the book came out, and the, the economic downturn was still going on. And he was a, a roofer, and he uh, his business had really taken a hit, and he was struggling, and he, it was going downhill and downhill. And he read the book, and he he got it. He understood that shift in focus. And he said all he did is that shift in focus and began applying the laws, and he took his eyes off himself and on totally to the the. Customers, and all of a sudden, not only was was he he getting more customers, he was getting referred customers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, just stories like that. There's the people who were looking for jobs and they got together in a group of people to network with each other and they came up with an idea. And that was instead of focusing on themselves when they went after jobs, they were focusing on helping everyone else in that group get jobs. Mm. And all of a sudden, everybody starts getting jobs. <laughs> you know, and so there's all these stories just abound. We hear them all the time from people. people. People who are running, whether it's a mom and pop type of business, whether it's an online business, whether it's a whether it's a big business. You know, we've had many companies that have bought, you know, hundreds of the books, some of them thousands and had me come in. Why? Because they wanted a go giver culture, not because it just sounded nice, but, you know, because it works.
0: Well, I have a couple of questions, Bob, I want to ask not directly related to the book, but I want to give you an opportunity to share anything else from the book you want to make sure we know.
1: Uh, no, no. These are these have been fantastic questions. Okay. I just like talking about books. All, <laughs> least of all my, my my own. I don't learn anything from my own. I, I love all the other books I get to read.
0: Well, that that's a perfect segue to my next question. I always ask every guest to name a couple of the books that you have read, or maybe the books you're currently reading that have impacted you in a in a huge way, and and mm-hmm. and share how and why they've impacted you as they have.
1: Well, you know, anything by Brian Tracy, Mm -hmm. uh, you were mentioning earlier, totally worth the read. Andy Andrews' books are are fantastic, who you mentioned earlier. Zig Ziglar and and Tom Hopkins, I read their books when I first got into sales, and they made such a huge difference for me. I'm reading a book, or I just, excuse me, finished a book just now by Fran Tarkenton, Mm -hmm. uh, the Hall of Fame uh, quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, who happens to be a Hall of Fame entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And his book is entitled The Power of Failure. Uh, subtitle, S Succeeding in the Age of Innovation. What a wonderful book where he shares why it's so important to embrace uh, failure on your way to success. It reminds me another of my favorite books by uh, Andrea Waltz and Richard Fenton called Go, for no, mm. <laughs> you know, which, in which their premise is yes is the destination. No is how you get there. Mm. Uh, and it's just a, a, a wonderful book that totally reframes the word no. Another book I finished recently is Humans Are Underrated. What High Achievers Know That Brilliant Machines Never Will by uh, Jeff Colvin, uh, G-E-O-F-F Colvin, uh, who wrote a book a couple of years ago, Talent is Overrated. but This book, Humans are Underrated. It's wonderful because it talks about that as as technology continues to advance, it can pretty much do everything now. It's not a matter of what can't computers do or what can't technology do. It can pretty much do everything. The question is, what will humans continue to insist on? that they receive only from other humans. Mm. And so he talks about the skill sets that it takes to be of value in that that type of situation. Really a a fantastic book. And uh, one of the best I ever read was written, uh, was actually published after this person died. Uh, Harry Brown, who was an old mentor of mine. Uh, he wrote a, a couple of books in uh, in the uh, late mid to late sixties, I believe. Well, mm. oh, I know it was the sixties. I think it was mid, but kind of late sixties. Mm. And his uh, widow, Pamela, discovered the manuscripts after Harry died several years ago, and uh, found a publisher to publish them. And they put the the two tran the two manuscripts into one book. Mm. It's called The Secret of Selling Anything, and the subtitle is a roadmap to success for the salesman. Remember, this is the sixties that he wrote it, so instead mm. of salesperson, it's salesman who is not aggressive, who is not a smooth talker, who is not an extrovert. Mm. And what this book is really, it's probably the best book on selling I've ever, ever read. OK, and I've read wow. hundreds of them. Uh, but what it's really about in Harry's own wonderful, really gentlemanly way of, of, of writing and explaining, it's really about understanding human nature mm. and it's about respecting human nature And understanding that again, you know, what we need to do is be able to intelligently, um, be able to work with others in a way. And again, in a free market based economy to do it where people aren't forced to buy from you to understand that, again, they're going to buy from you because they believe it's going to bring them closer to happiness (laughs) as they (laughs) understand happiness by doing so than by not doing so. It's really such a brilliant, brilliant look inside human nature.
0: Well, in addition to uh, reading consistently and intentionally, I'm obviously a big believer in that. I also believe, Bob, that uh, you need to be able to effectively share your ideas in public, and that that plays a major role, I think, oftentimes in the the level of a person's uh, success. Uh, So I'd be curious to know what some of your tips are, having done this for decades, uh, for delivering an impactful and memorable public talk.
1: Well, I think the first thing is to understand that if you feel really, really nervous about speaking in public, Mm. don't let that stop you because practically everyone feels nervous speaking in public, including yours truly. (laughs) I get nervous before every talk, whether I'm speaking in front of 50 people or 5,000 or 15,000, it doesn't matter. Um, There's always an anxiety about it. Mm. But the big thing is then to know that you know your stuff. (laughs) <laughs> to know your topic so well that you can be confident because you know your topic better than, you know, everyone in the audience. Then, you know, when you get up there, it's focusing on them, not on yourself. If you focus on yourself and how you're doing, you're going to be nervous throughout the talk. <laughs> but if as soon as you hit the stage, your focus turns 100% on the audience, you um, Then, uh, you know, it's going to be like night and day. Now, let me suggest another book, if I may. This one just came out and it's from a person who is among the best teachers on on public speaking uh, ever. Okay, his Mm -hmm. name is Michael Port. He's uh, you you know, Michael, it sounds like I do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. and, And his new book is called Steal the Show. And it is absolutely magnificent. Uh, I actually had Michael in to work with our team of certified uh, go-giver speakers. And uh, he, I saw him really literally within minutes make significant changes. Mm-hmm. But when he worked with them throughout the the half day, it was night and day. I mean, it was just Uh, So phenomenal. It's beyond words. That's how good this guy is. And he's just as good a speaker as he is a teacher. And he's just as good a teacher as he is a speaker. He's got a gift, but he's also worked very hard to develop it. And so I would suggest anyone who's interested in speaking either publicly or professionally to to uh, get Michael's book.
0: We've had Michael on the show, and we're having him back next month to talk about uh, that book. I'm reading it uh, myself right now. and I'm Excellent. Absolutely tell him that. I said hello. <laughs> I will. Uh, by the way, when it comes to the lives you've impacted, uh, family, friends, uh, colleagues, clients, Bob, at the, at the end of it all, what do you hope to ultimately be remembered for the most?
1: Well, I think uh, what I would like it to be is something that I believe my, my dad is so well known for now and, and what really ha- and always has been and what his legacy is. So I think I'm carrying on my dad's legacy, and that is to to be able to help people feel genuinely good about themselves. Mm. Uh, he's always done that so well. I don't do that nearly as well as he did and does to this day, but uh, I try. And I've always said, you know, when we talk about people skills, which is very important, people skills are very important. I've always said the greatest, the single greatest people skill is a highly developed and authentic interest in the other person. And that's what I've always seen of, of my dad. And uh, I try to do that as well. So I guess uh, if there's one thing I hope people remember me for, it will be he he did his best to make others feel genuinely
0: good about themselves. A little bird told me that you're working on a podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah. We uh, will have a pod, the Go-Giver podcast, (laughs) ironically named, right? (laughs) Uh, And that will be coming out in early November. So we're very, uh, very excited about that. And of course, we continue to grow our uh, certified Go-Giver speaker program. And so Mm -hmm. those are really the two things that we are fired up, excited about, and the release of the, you know, the expanded edition of the Go-Giver. So all in all, a few things to keep us busy and out of trouble. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bob, again, for your time. I don't know how I worked it out to have Brian Tracy one week and you the next, but somehow the stars and planets align. And uh, that well,
1: well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be included in the same sentence as Brian. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm honored to be on your show. And, and I, you do
0: such a fantastic job. And it's 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 obvious to, as to why you have such a successful podcast. I'm not certain, but I think Bob may have just set a record, a new record, for the most number of books mentioned in a single Read to Lead interview. And that certainly is a good thing. To find links to all those books and all the other resources that Bob and I mentioned, you can visit the page created especially for this episode. It's at readtoleadpodcast.com/slash for episode 98. You can find and connect with Bob on Twitter if you like. I encourage you to do that and mention the Read to Lead podcast, if you will. He's at Bob Berg on Twitter. That's B-O-B-B-U-R-G on Twitter. You can help keep the show strong when you visit our sponsors, SoFi.com slash Read to Lead and the folks at Updesk, Read to Lead podcast.com slash Desk. And as we close, I want to say a special thanks to Jack, who left a five-star rating and review calling the Read to Lead podcast awesome. He says he's really glad he stumbled onto it, enjoying the refreshing perspective, and would recommend it to anyone involved in personal development or leadership. That is exactly what we want to hear, Jack. Thank you so much. If you'd like to leave a rating and five-star review in iTunes and possibly hear your name on a future episode, go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead.